Good morning, church. Um, let us please stand for our scripture reading for today. And we shall be reading from Mark chapter 16. Uh, Mark chapter 16. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulchre at the rising of the sun. And they had said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulchre? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulchre, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were frightened. And he said unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen, he is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulchre, for they, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Now when Jesus was risen early, the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had, that had been with him, as they moaned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. After that he appeared in another form unto two of them, as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it unto the, re unto the residue, neither believed they them. Afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat, and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven, and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth, and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Mark chapter 16. I want to speak to you today on the subject, what a difference the resurrection of Jesus Christ can make in your life. Where, wherever you come from, whoever you are, whatever you came in believing, if we will take hold of the truth and power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, He can make an incredible, immense, infinite, eternal difference in our lives. Mark chapter 16, I just want to begin by reading just the first verse and the last two verses of this chapter. The whole of it was read earlier, but I just want to go back to the first verse and then verses 19 and 20, Mark 16. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, the Mary, the mother, Mary, the mother of J James and Salome, have brought sweet spices, and they, that they might come and anoint him. Verse 19. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. So as we come into this chapter, I'm reminded of the seventh day of creation week when God rested. And on this seventh day, God's Son is resting in a cold, dark tomb. And as the fall of man came in a garden and plunged the human race into sin, here we see the last man, the Lord of heaven, 
come back to life in a garden. So today I want to preach to you on this subject, what a difference the resurrection, the resurrection can make. Let's pray. Father, please work in this time. Only You can do what needs to be done. We can speak on the outward, but only You can speak to the heart. So speak to the hearts, O God, by the power of Your Word. We believe in the power of the Word of God to preach Your Word as You told us, Lord. It's an old-time thing to do, but we're doing it just as You said, to the best of our feeble ability. So take this time, change our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the great news I have for you today is that believing in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ has great transforming power. Believing that Jesus is alive can transform your life. We had a dear sister in our church for almost 25 years. Helen Stevens. Many of us knew her. Some of you may not have known her. She went to be with the Lord, I believe, in August of 2020 during the pandemic. She loved Resurrection Day. She sat right where Edgar's sitting. She loved Resurrection. She'd come up to me afterward. Pastor, thank you for that sermon. Oh, she just loved this day so much. Her testimony is amazing, though. Chained to drugs. She needed them deeply. They soothed her mind from the fears and anxiety that she was going through. So because of her fear, she started going to a psychiatrist and he gave her prescribed medications that didn't work, so she kept smoking pot anyway. She said, she, I felt so useless and unloved. And then the psychiatrist at one of her meetings one day said to her, well, I have to change my rates. I don't think you can afford me anymore, so you should probably go to church. So she started going to a large liberal church here in Manhattan. because But the church didn't meet her needs, so she kept smoking pot, and she, but she started listening to her, the radio station, WMCA. And God began to convict her of sin. And she realized that what she was listening to on that radio station was not what she was hearing preached in her church. She had some women in her prayer group praying to Mother God. But there were other ladies in her prayer circle who knew that that church was not preaching the gospel. So they said they were going to go look for another church. And so Helen said, maybe I should too. So as she kept listening to WMCA, guess what she heard? She heard of Heritage Baptist Church. She said, as soon as I attended Heritage, the Lord saved me and set me free. I felt the Lord's hand upon me. He touched my heart to live for Him. Now I know I am loved and useful for Jesus Christ. I pray that God would do that today. We've had visitors on this day before. I remember Jermaine brought a family here, right brother? You brought a family on Resurrection Day and they got saved. They were changed. Maybe that will happen to someone here today. Believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ has great transforming power. It will make the ultimate eternal difference in our lives. And Helen was transformed, wasn't she? Filled with the Spirit. She was a woman of prayer. She loved the Word of God. She loved to teach children. She loved to teach everyone she could. She was a soul winner every time she would go out there passing out tracts. And you notice that picture. It has a, a blur because the people rushing by. But notice the cane. And Helen stood there with her cane for an hour until her, her leg was in so much pain. You could see the pain written on her face. But she only stopped doing that when I said, Helen, you have to stop. Because she had so much pain. Helen even wanted to sing in the choir. I said, Helen, it would be best for you not to sing in the choir. <laughs> you know, I mean, she would just want to do everything. Praise God. Helen was transformed. And many of us have been transformed by Jesus. Amen? Amen. Praise God for Jesus, His power, His love, His Holy Spirit coming into our lives and changing us. And what we see in the resurrection stories of the Bible and even in our own lives and in the life of Helen Stevens and, and us as well is that the resurrection story in, in, in the Bible is not about gullible people believing. It's, it's about hard to convince people believing. 
Maybe you say, you've come in here and say, you, I'm hard to convince. Well, I'm here to say, God is after you. And He can convince you to believe in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because He is alive. And that's the truth, dear friends. Transforming power. The resurrection transformed the disciples. The denying Peter became a flaming witness. The doubting Thomas became a mighty witness of the gospel in India. The destroying one Paul, murdering and persecuting Christians, went on to write 13 books of the Bible. The resurrection has great transforming power. It makes a difference in our lives. And that's what I'm preaching to you today. Because what we see in this chapter is this. The first verse... The ladies come to the tomb and they think Jesus is dead. And they come to anoint His body. They had good intentions. But guess what? He wasn't dead. And His body didn't need anointing. What they really needed was to know He's alive. And they needed the anointing from Him through the resurrection and by the coming Holy Spirit. And what we see, just think of the contrast from the first verse. When they go to the tomb thinking he's dead and they're going to anoint his dead body. And the last verse, they're going everywhere preaching the Word of God with the anointing that only Jesus can give. What a difference He makes. So that's the difference we need to experience. That's the message today. We need to experience this difference. And there's four things I want to share that made a difference in the lives of the apostles when they believed in the resurrection. And the first thing is this. Believing in the resurrection is the difference between living in fear or living with peace. Living in fear or living with peace. Now, when we come to the early part of this chapter, the ladies again, they're going, they're going to the tomb. And, and what's their worry? What's their fear? Oh no! These little old ladies... The guard has been sealed with pilot seal. There's Roman soldiers standing outside it from what they knew. And, they, and the stone was huge. There's no way, no way humanly they could move the stone. And so they're worried. Who shall roll us away the stone? Like so many of our worries, we don't have to worry. God takes care of our worries often before we can even say, Thank you, Lord. Now I have a classic book. The whole book was written. It's really a classic book. It's called, Who Moved the Stone? Maybe some of you have read it. And there's a whole book on it, but I can tell you in two words who moved the stone. The angels. <laughs> Matthew tells us the angels moved the stone. So that's my book on that, that, that subject. The angels. And angels can move stones, but only God can raise the dead. And there are four different words that describe their fear here. One is in verse 5, and if you're taking notes, the blanks are here. And the blanks here come straight from the text. So what's the word in verse 5 that describes their fear, their emotional fear? They were in a combined state of amazement and agitation. It says in verse 5 and also verse 6, they were what? Affrighted. They were affrighted. And then down in verse 8, it describes their fear physically. They what? They were trembling. It says they trembled. Fear seized them so that they were literally physically shaking. And we've been there, right? Haven't you trembled? And then it says in verse 8 also, their mental state, they were amazed. We get our word ecstatic from that Greek word. Ecstasy. So, their emotions was really a mixture of things here. They were gripped with multiple feelings. Amazement and wonder. Terror and trembling. Joy-filled ecstasy with awe mixed, mingled with fear. It was kind of like they didn't know what was going on. So, I mean, just a mixture of emotions. And that's what we are many times. They were affrighted. They trembled. They were amazed. And then it says in verse 8, and for they were afraid. They were afraid. And so the Lord is going to change their fear, though. And all this mixture of emotions to peace. Because remember, often the word of Jesus when He came to the disciples and He would meet with them, He would say to them what? Peace, peace. I'm alive. You don't have to worry. Fear. Now, fear is a part of life. I'll, I'll be very honest with you. When I was a college student, 
at Clemson and really throughout my life, I've had fears. And I would say that it was fear that I could not overcome that caused me to see my need for Jesus. I had sin, obviously, but fears, that kind of fear is a sin. And it was just too much for me. Fear is a huge problem. You know, they have this DSM manual, the manual of all the different psychological illnesses. There's, there's like over a, well over a hundred different kinds of fears. It's amazing what people, some people could fear. You say, well, how could anybody be afraid of trees? I mean, I could see if somebody's afraid of spiders, but to be afraid of ants? I mean, all kinds of things people are afraid of. There's like a, over a hundred. We have surface fears. Sometimes you're afraid, oh, you might lose your job, or you're, you have a meeting this week, or, oh, you have to talk to that person, you really don't want to talk to them, and you have fears, or if you're, you're, your car's like a little bit unempty, the, the light of, the goes on, and you're afraid you're going to run out of gas, you know? We have those kinds of surface fears, but then we have emotional fears that are a little deeper than that, don't we? The fear of failure, the fear of rejection, the fear I'm going to lose control, the fear I'm going to be all alone, and who's going to take care of me. But the deepest fear are the spiritual fears. And it says, in, it says in the book of Hebrews that people all their lifetime, all their life long, are brought into the bondage of fear over death. The fear of death brings people into a bondage all their life long. That's the deepest fear. And I'm here to say that the resurrection of Jesus Christ deals with the deepest fear and all the fears of life because He's alive. And because He's alive, we can live through Him. You see, He rose again to show us there is life after the grave. This chapter ends. Jesus isn't on earth anymore. It says He's, he's gone up into heaven. That's where He is today. Because guess what, friends? There is a heaven. Please turn to Matthew chapter 28. The parallel passage of Mark 16, the resurrection chapter of Matthew. And I love what Matthew tells us because he's the one who told us the angel came down and rolled back the stone in verse 2. And then it says, we're talking about the different kinds of fears. You know what people have a fear of? Angels. <laughs> it seems like every time an angel shows up, people get, get spooked. <laughs> people are afraid. They're affrighted. They're tremble. They're amazed. They're afraid. And it says in Matthew 28, verse 4, it says, and for the fear of him, that is the angel. His countenance was like lightning, his raiment as white as snow. For fear of him, Matthew 28, 4, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Now think of that. These men were muscular. They were trained. They were armed. They were trained to fear nothing. And yet one angel froze them with fear and trembling so that they couldn't even move for a moment. And it goes to show us that circumstances can happen in this life. You might say, well, I'm not afraid of anything, but maybe you will be afraid of something. Sometimes people get afraid of, of things they don't even understand why they're afraid. They just become afraid. That's when we need Jesus Christ. Because circumstances can happen that can cause the strongest person to freeze with fear. But the angel tells these women in this chapter, as well as in, in Mark, Be not afraid, verse 5 of Matthew 28. Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. And as the angel says back in, if you go back to Mark chapter 16, the angel said to them there, be not affrighted, in verse 6, Mark 16, verse 6. Be not affrighted. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. That's not my word. That's, you know what this book is? This is the Word of God. Let me, but let me remind us. This is God's Word to us. Now, can God lie? If God can lie, He cannot be God. This is His Word. And it says in the Bible, the Word of the living God. This is powerful stuff, dear friends. 
He is risen. He is not here. Hallelujah. So seek the Lord and He'll deliver you from your fears. Like the psalmist said, I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. 1 John 4, 8 says that perfect love casts out what? Fear. That is, the, that is there the fear that hath a torment. When we know the love of God, when we know Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, that He's been crucified for our sins and risen from the dead, that delivers us from the fear of torment. Because Jesus Christ bore that torment for us. He took the wrath of God, God's wrath for sin that we deserve. That's why Jesus Christ died. To bear the wrath of our sin. And so, but when He rose again, He broke that power. And He delivers those who trust in Him from their sins. He forgives them. He gives us, he gives us His righteousness. And so perfect love casts out the fear of torment. So we can live, as God says many times in the Bible, Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not afraid, for I am thy God. The Bible says, fear not. He will not withhold any good thing from them that walk uprightly. Fear not. Trust in the Lord and do good. And He'll take care of your needs. You'll dwell in the land if you're having financial problems. Fear not. Trust God. You will be fed. Fear not. God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Jesus Christ. He is risen so that we will not be afraid and have peace. The second difference He makes, not only... The difference between fear and peace, but between sadness and gladness. Now, I remember when I did become a Christian, I had a, uh, I had a New American Standard Bible. And in my New American Standard Bible at verse 9, just to let you know, if you have uh, one of these other translations like the NIV, New American Standard, and so forth, it will say at verse 9 that, this passage in Mark from verse 9 through verse 20 is not in the older manuscripts. They place a doubt upon these verses. I'm just putting that out there for you, that you may read that. But I want to assure you this. These verses are the Word of God. I'm not going to go into all the reasons why, but I will just say that these verses are in the vast number of what they call the majority Greek manuscripts, for one, and they've been in all the great translations, beginning with the Tyndale Bible and the Matthew Bible and the Great Bible, the Geneva Bible, and then ultimately our King James Bible. These verses have been in there. And so don't let anyone put a doubt on these verses in your mind that they don't belong in the Word of God. Okay, just put that out there. So what we learn in these verses is that knowing Jesus is risen is the difference between sadness and gladness. Now at this point, the disciples were very sad. Look what it says in Mark chapter 16. As they were gathered together, and it says in... I'll find the verse here. That they were gathered together and they, were mourned, they mourned and wept. Verse 10. It says that Mary Magdalene, when she went to them, she told them what, that, which, uh, had been, been, that Jesus had been with her. And it says, as they mourned and wept. They were mourning, they were weeping, they were sad. They didn't know Jesus Christ was alive. They were numb with grief. They were living a nightmare. Are you living a nightmare? Are you numb with sadness and sorrow and grief? Many people are depressed today. You could just go online and find this. But they say one in six adults will struggle with depression sometime in their lives. And that's not actually wrong necessarily. I mean, I, I believe we see depression in the Bible. I believe that, that David was, was depressed in certain times and Moses and the prophets sometimes. So there's nothing. Sometimes we just go through those times. One in six people will struggle with some kind of depression. And about 7% of adults right now are in depression. And that's probably like by a medical analysis. In other words, they may be even on different medications. I will be careful about, personally, I will be careful, be very careful. I'm not a doctor, but I will be careful if you're physically healthy to be taking drugs just to help you with your emotional state. 
So perhaps that depression is what God is leading you through. And, and I believe the best way to deal with a personal discouragement and when you're feeling sad in your spirit is to go to the Lord and pour out your heart to Him and remember once again that He's alive. He will strengthen you. He will never leave you. He is with you. He will bring you through this. We see three groups of people, three different kinds of people weeping. Uh, at this resurrection, in the resurrection accounts, I think of Mary. Remember Mary, how she was weeping? Why weepest thou, Mary? Woman, why weepest thou? Jesus even asked her. Now, what's very fascinating here, too, is that in Mark chapter 16, look at verse 9. It says, now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. Now, so Peter tells us what, what, what important information, and only Peter tells us this information. Who did Jesus appear first to when he was risen from the dead? Mary. Only Mark tells us that. But what's so interesting is that's all Mark tells us, basically. And who tells us the whole story of that meeting? John. John tells us the, the long story of, of this particular meeting. So Mark tells us something important, and of course the, Mark is writing it, but many people consider Mark whose gospel, whose gospel, who was the apostle, in a sense, behind Mark's gospel? Peter, the apostle Peter. And so Mark tells us something, but he doesn't tell us everything he knows. He, he's not telling us everything he knows, because remember, Peter ran to the tomb with John. Remember, he had a race to the tomb. He doesn't even tell us that in his own gospel. So it's so fascinating to me what's in the Bible, what's not in the Bible. And there's always a reason for it. And I believe that Mark is just telling a fast-paced account of the resurrection just to simply say that here were the people that were sad. And the Lord Jesus Christ made them glad. And one of them was Mary, who when she knew that Jesus wasn't the gardener, but that He was actually the risen Lord of, of heaven... She went out and she told the disciples, I've seen the Lord! Remember what they told her? Remember what the disciples said when they said, Woman, you're telling idle stories, idle tales. Would you hallucinate it? They didn't believe her. It says in verse number 11 that they believed her not. But then there's another group of people who were sad. I call them the depressed duo, not the dynamic duo. This is the depressed duo on the Emmaus Road. And Mark tells us about them. In verse 12, he says, After that he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked. And it says another form. That's so interesting, isn't it? In other words, the resurrection of bo body of Jesus Christ was, his, was a physical body. It was the body of Christ. But it was, he was in another form and sometimes not immediately recognizable by Mary and even by these two on the Emmaus Road. And he, he had a glorified body when they saw him. But what did Jesus ask these two guys? Remember, actually, maybe it was a man and his wife. But what did he ask them when they were on this Emmaus Road? They were leaving Jerusalem. Their hopes were shattered. They were discouraged. Their sadness was on their face. So that Jesus even asked them. Remember, Jesus asked them, he said, Why? Why are you sad? Why are you sad? What a question. Why are you sad? Have you looked into your heart to know the reasons why, if you're struggling with depression? You know, why are you sad? Is there a sin there? It's not always sin. I mean, you could be depressed after you lose a job. That's not a sin when somebody's depressed after they lose a job. You could, you could be depressed after a car accident and you broke multiple bones and you're laid up in the hospital. You could be depressed. That's not a sin. So it's not always a sin to be depressed, and it's not always because of sin that people are depressed. But, but they were sad, they were depressed, because they were hoping that Jesus Christ was going to restore the kingdom to Israel, and now they believe Jesus was dead. And so hope deferred makes the heart sick. In other words, when you have hope for something, and that hope is shattered, you're, you can be easily let down into sadness and depression. Doesn't that make sense? When you hope for something, and then that hope is gone... Oh man, I'm sad. So they started talking with Jesus, and actually Mark just tells us, literally here again, in these two verses, verse 12 and 13, he appeared to these two, 
And it says in verse 13, they went and told it. But Luke gives the whole story here. (laughs) So if you go to Luke 24, he tells you the whole story about these two on the Emmaus Road. But Mark tells us that they, they were there. The point, though, is this, beloved. As Jesus continued talking to them, and He broke bread with them, and when He broke that bread, their eyes were open, and they knew that this was Jesus. As soon as they knew it was the Lord, He left them. And then it says, did not our hearts... Remember what it says? I love this. Did not our hearts burn within us? He gave us a burning heart. It wasn't heartburn. This is a good kind of heartburn, though. I mean, this is a holy heartburn. This is when the Word of God speaks to your heart, and you're like, wow, God is talking to me. And so their hearts were burning, and their feet were on fire, and they went and they told the disciples as well. Verse 13, neither believed they them. So here were the disciples. They didn't believe Mary. They didn't believe this. the two on the Emmaus Road. And the third group of those weeping and unbelieving were the disciples themselves. As I've mentioned to you in this particular verse, it says they mourned in verse 10. They were mourning and weeping. Now, think of this. These disciples were weeping and unbelieving. Mourning and weeping. Jesus enters their midst. Verse 14, what does He say to them? Verse 14, this is not soft language. It says, He upbraided them. That's the same word that's used for what they said against Jesus on the cross. In other words, He really rebukes them. Why does He rebuke them? Because they had been with Him. Jesus told them He was going to die and rise again. They didn't didn't believe the word of Jesus. And then they didn't believe the word of Mary. And then they didn't believe the word of the two on the Emmaus Road. And these were the disciples who were ultimately going to go forth and preach the Gospel and expect others to believe believe their testimony and their witness. But yet they didn't believe the witness of Mary or the two on the Emmaus Road and of Jesus Himself. And so Jesus abrades them for their hardness. It says, because of their hardness of heart, their unbelief, He abraded them for their unbelief, their hardness of heart. That's what it says. And these were the men who were going to turn the world upside down. So think about this for a moment. And what I have written up here on the screen is important, dear friends. Look into your own heart. Look into your own heart, because your faith is very important to God. Your faith is of supreme concern to the risen Lord. Do you know that unbelief is a great sin? If you don't believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and rose again, do you know that that's a sin? The sin of unbelief? Do you know who's going to be in hell? The unbelievers. Some people say, well, I'm not that bad a person. But guess what that means? You're bad. You're just not that bad. All of us are bad. You could find somebody who's worse than you, and you can find somebody who's better than you. But all men, at best are still sinners. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And one of the great sins to God, it says it right there, Hebrews 3.12. Read that verse, please. It says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Wow. I didn't write that. It says an evil heart of unbelief. Why is it an evil heart not to believe? Well, let me ask you this. How would you feel if you walked into church today, into our church, and someone said, hey, how's it going? Uh, what is your name? And you'd say, oh, my name is, my name is Matt. And you say, okay, uh, Matt, well, what, what work do you do? And maybe, oh, I'm a pastor. Oh, really? I don't believe you. I don't believe your name is Matt. I don't believe that you're really a pastor. What, what would you think if you came in here and told somebody your name, what you work you did, and they didn't believe you? you say, I'm not going back to that church. They don't believe me. I just told, like, the most basic thing about me, my name and where I work, and they don't believe me. What kind of people are those? They, 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 they're terrible people. They don't believe me. That's right, because unbelief is evil. 
And if you don't believe that, you see, here's the point now. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin and rose again from the dead, you're not believing the most basic truth about who Jesus is and what he came to do. You're saying that God's a liar. You're saying that Jesus Christ is a liar. If you say, oh, I'm not, he's not risen from the dead. Oh, you're, you just said he's a liar because he's, I read it in the Bible. He's risen. So you're saying the Bible, God's a liar. Jesus Christ is not who he said he was. So that's why unbelief is evil. But the good news is, you can believe right now. You, can, you don't have to wait another second. You can say right now in your heart, Oh, forgive me, Lord, for my evil heart of unbelief. And I trust You as my Savior. I believe, Lord Jesus, You died on the cross and You're alive. Now, this world will work hard to keep you in unbelief. I heard about a New York Times op-ed this past Friday. The op-ed was entitled, In this time of war, I propose we give up God. Think of that. The author says, killing gods, he was talking about all the, the, the gods of the major religions, so he, he used God in plural, but the, 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 our God was included in this. He said, killing gods is an idea I can get behind. How sad that the old gray lady, the New York Times, would publish that. In the day when they're trying to stop disinformation, the greatest disinformation that you could spread is the lie that Jesus Christ is not alive. He's alive. And if you say he's not, that's disinformation, dear friends. You know, this man says, I could get behind the idea of killing God. Well, they tried that about 2,000 years ago. How'd that work out? <laughs> he's alive. You can't kill God. He's eternal. And he'll keep come, he came back to life. So, dear friends, the difference between sadness and gladness is the resurrection. Knowing Jesus is alive will make you glad. They went out, they were glad. And as we go on in the passage, it's the difference between sitting and serving. So this is verse 14 of 15, where the Lord then told these disciples, He rebukes them, but now He commands them. Now, look at this verse. And we have to embrace this. This is, this is, Jesus is commanding you to, and me. Each of us individually, we have to embrace this. Look at verse 15. Read, read it out loud. What does it say? And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Who's that for? You're supposed to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every single person alive. You. Go. Do it. <laughs> don't wait. You, gotta, you don't have much time to do it. You know, that's a lot of work to do. So I say, let's not, we can't be bench warmers for Jesus. Let's not be bench warmers. Because it says here, they were sitting. He appeared to them as they sat at meat. You know, I think of Jonah, bench warmer outside of Nineveh. He was just bench warming out there, seeing what God would judge Nineveh. I think of Eli, bench warming. Remember old fat Eli who was sitting there, you know? And then he heard his sons died and he rolled over and broke his neck. He was a bench warmer. He was a priest, but he wasn't serving God. I want to encourage all of us to get off the bench, get into the game, get dirty, sweat, work for Jesus Christ. We've got to, because what are we supposed to do? You... Okay, Jesus commanded you individually to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every, it says creature. You know what that is? That means every person who's been created and bears the image of God. <laughs> every image bearer of God. Now wait a minute, you say, well, come on, pastor, there's no way I can do that. Come on, let's, let's get real, come on. Does Jesus really expect... Me individually to go everywhere, to every nation, to every person. That's what his command is. He tells the disciples. He says, go ye. Now, but, but here's the key word. Ye is the group. So, we cannot do this alone. That's the point. We have a worldwide duty to preach the gospel to every human being created in the image of God. 
But we cannot do it alone. We need the power of the Holy Spirit, for one, who came on Pentecost, so we can have the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And we must do it in and through the local church. So we don't do it alone. Because we really, the Lord knows it's not possible to go to every, every nation and preach to God. But as a, when you band together, now some people say, well, I don't like the church. I'll just go on, you know, Easter Sunday. <laughs> okay, we're glad to have you. <laughs> but you've got to be obedient. And obedience will require you to unite with a local church that is serious about fulfilling the Great Commission. Now, I don't say we do it perfectly, but we are serious about it. And we do support missionaries, and this is our intention. This is why we are here. To go into all the world. And we support wonderful missionaries in other parts of the world. And so here's what I want to say to every person. This is very important. One of the most significant things you can do with your entire life is to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in and through a local church like Heritage Baptist. We're not the only church, but we are a church. This is we'd be one of the most significant things. It's more important, I believe it's more important than your job because this will have eternal impact and ramifications to the world. So he tells them this. And guess what they did? They believed. And in verse 20 says, they went forth and they preached. Where did they preach? Verse 20. What's the word after? They preached what? Everywhere. They went everywhere. The Lord working with them. Isn't that something? They were working for the Lord, but the Lord was working with them. And then the Lord, and I believe this is especially true of the apostles, they con- the Lord confirmed their word because they wrote the New Testament, the word of God, that we hold in our hands has been confirmed through many signs and wonders that it's true. And so one last verse, and then we'll move to the last point. I love this verse. Can you read it with me? It says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So, you know, there's a lot being said today, today about people's different identities. But this is a great identity verse. This is who we are as Christians. This says we are a chosen generation. God chose us to follow Him, to believe in Him. It says we're a priesthood. Do you know that when you believe in Jesus Christ, you're a priest? Say, but I don't have a collar like the priest. You don't need a collar to be a priest. You need Jesus Christ in your heart. And then a priest is someone who has direct access to God and can go to God for every need. And you can go to God on and pray for others. That's a priest representing people before God in His presence. And then it says we're a peculiar people. That doesn't mean you're weird. That doesn't mean you weird people out like, oh, that guy's weird. I like that phrase though, peculiar people. It actually means you are a purchased possession which makes you strange to this world. We will be strange to this world when we follow Jesus Christ. They're like, you go to church on Sunday? Huh? What are you, weird? You mean, do you, do you give your money to that church? What? They're, they're thieves. <laughs> you know where the real thieves are? Like Madison Square Garden when you go to a basketball game and buy a soda. Man, they're the thieves. <laughs> wow, and they say the church wants your money. I'll tell you what. Anyway, okay. But this says we're priests. We're kings. We're a holy nation. We're a peculiar, we're a special people purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we're called out of darkness into His marvelous light. How can we not tell somebody about that? You know, if if you were on Jeopardy and you won like the grand prize of the day or whatever, maybe you won 15 days in a row, wouldn't you tell somebody, hey, yeah, I was on Jeopardy. It was a great time, man. You You wouldn't be embarrassed about that. We have eternal life in Jesus Christ. We're going to heaven. So, you know, just be yourself. But I want to challenge you this week. Give God praise to somebody that you meet. Maybe it's at the coffee shop or the deli that you go in. And they know you. You know, they know you. If you go into that place, like I go into uh, 
a juice generation place, and they know me now. They know my face. The guy even knows what I order sometimes, you know, and I, I get in a little relationship with him. I ask his name, and, you know, I'll give him a gospel track. Get to know people. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. And it, it just says, let it, let it come out of you because of who you are in Christ. You've been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. And so, what, what should we do for, out of that? Show forth His praise. Show forth His praise to other people. Give God praise. Let others know who you are, what you believe, where you stand. And the last difference is this. is the difference between heaven and hell. Do you know that heaven and hell are both real? Both are eternal. What must you do to go to hell? Nothing. By nature, we're children of wrath. We're born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Jesus said it this way now in verse 16. He says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. The saved people go where? They go to heaven. And it says, and he that believeth not shall be what? Damned. Damned people go where? Go to hell. Now you, you say, preacher, you, you believe in hell? Yeah. It's in the Bible. And I didn't write it. <laughs> Jesus preached more about hell. Some have said, anyway, I've heard this said. I, I haven't counted the number of times. But he preached about hell many times. How about I'll just say it that way. But here... It says, he that believeth. This is our inner reception of the Lord Jesus Christ. He that believeth in Jesus, that He is alive. It says, shall be saved. Now if you believe, you'll then get baptized. Because that's the outward testimony of your faith. Now we're not saved because of our baptism. We're saved by grace alone through Jesus Christ. But once we are saved, we will have a desire to obey the Lord. And one of the first steps of that obedience is getting baptized. So, as we mentioned earlier, we're having a baptism in June. So please see me about that if you need to take that step. We'd love to baptize you. But then it says, He that believeth not shall be damned. That's it. That's all it takes. It doesn't say murderers, you have to kill. If you murder somebody, you're going to be damned. It's not what it says. It says, He that believeth not that's, you mean, that's it? That's it. That's what it says. That's what Jesus said. He that believeth not. You say, well, how could that be? Because the greatness of our sin does not lie so much in the particular sin we commit. Listen now. But it's in the person we sin against. As I said earlier, remember, if we don't believe in Jesus, we're calling Him a liar. And we're sinning against God. So the greatness of our sin is not, not that you have to kill somebody in order to go to hell, although murderers will go to hell if they don't repent. But so will the unbelievers, he that believeth not. And that's why we need Jesus. Because salvation is all of grace. And He loves us so much. He loves us so much. That's why He came to earth. And the whole world knows about this, right? I mean, it's not like what we believe. It's like, it's not like we're the only church in the world. I mean, you know how many places around the world are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ today? So join the celebration. Believe that Jesus was delivered for our offenses and He was raised again for our justification. We need Jesus Christ today to overcome our fears, to have peace. To overcome our depression and sadness, to have gladness. To overcome our sitting, to have, have a purpose to serve for. But we need Jesus Christ because we need to go to heaven when this life is over and not go to hell. What a terrible thing to live this life and then, and then die and spend an eternity in hell, dear friends. So let us go forth today. Maybe you came in today kind of like the ladies in the first verse here. You came in thinking, Jesus is dead. I'll just go do a religious thing. I'll anoint His body, you know. But you don't have to anoint Jesus. He's alive. You need anointing from Jesus. The power of His Holy Spirit. You need salvation. 
come to Christ today if you've not been saved. If you are saved, let me ask you this. Are you a bench warmer for Jesus? Are you really serving the Lord? Are you showing forth the praises of the Lord to others? Are you growing in grace? Maybe, maybe, maybe you are going through depression. I want to encourage you because we're going to go through depression and sadness and discouragement in this life. Before you run to doctors, get on your knees and run to Jesus. And really ask Him to bring you through. Trust the Lord through those times. Read the Psalms. Because many times the psalmists went through such points of depression like Psalm 42. If you're going depression, Psalm 42, Psalm 147. I'll give you those two psalms to work on right there. But let's not be sitting saints soaking and souring. Let's be serving our Savior with gladness, with peace, with the power of His Holy Spirit, with the anointing, because we've been transformed. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has made a difference in our life for the glory of God. Let's stand together, please, as we pray. Thank You, Lord, for Your goodness. Thank You, Lord, for Your love. How many of you need an anointing of power today? The anointing of the Holy Spirit of God that you could go forth like these disciples who were in fear, in sadness. They were sitting, they were mourning. But when they believed unanimously as a group that Jesus was alive, they went forth, they went everywhere preaching the Word of God. How many of you need that anointing today of the Holy Spirit of God in your life? so that I could be a, a power-filled, a Spirit-filled servant of Jesus. How many would say, Pastor Matt, pray for me that I will be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, anointed with the Holy Spirit to show forth the praises of Jesus Christ, that He's alive to my friends, to my family, to my co-workers, people around me, that I'll not be ashamed of Jesus and who He is and what He's done. Can I see your hand? Just put it up to the Lord. And say, yes, God, fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, you're alive. You are risen. Yes, Lord, you're my Savior. And you save me, you could save anyone if you could save me. We all have that feeling that if, if the Lord could change us, man, He could change anybody. Hallelujah. As we sing this morning, and if you feel you need to step out of your seat, you come forward and just pray and say, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. If you even want to step out and do that now, you may. But is there anyone here who would say, Pastor Matt, pray for me. I'm not saved today. I walked in today not believing in Jesus Christ, that He died on the cross for me, that He rose again from the dead. Pray for me, Pastor. I, need, I, I do believe in Jesus now. Even while you were preaching, I said yes in my heart. Yes, I believe in you, Lord Jesus, that you're the way, the truth, and the life. You're the one who rose again, and I want you to save me. Is there anyone like that who say, yes, I need Jesus to save me and take me to heaven one day? Can I see your hand? Is there anyone like that at all? God bless you, I see that hand. Is there anyone else? Thank you, Lord, now. Speak to our hearts, O oh God. We come to You broken. We come just as we are. In Jesus' name, Amen.